Hi, this is David Sweet, CEO and founder of Focus Core Japan. And if you were like many of the APAC leaders that I speak to, you're struggling in Japan to find the right talent. You get bombarded with irrelevant resumes or a lack of resumes altogether. I would like to invite you to discover the power of Focus Core's retained search. Let Focus Core help you swiftly secure top tier talent in this candidate short market. I'd like to invite you to shoot me an email and explore how we're different. And with a 100% refundable trial, we can revolutionize your hiring process today. Now, on to our podcast. Well, whenever an American says football, I have to clarify. Welcome to the Focus Core podcast. I'm very pleased to welcome Rob Williams. Rob is a senior investment advisor at AP Advisors Limited, as well as the chair and co founder of Knights in White Lycra. So, welcome, Rob. Good morning to you, David. Thank you very much for having you on your podcast, having me on your podcast, even. Uh, having having us on the podcast, it's an <laughs> it's an us podcast today. Well, for for those of you those guests that don't know you, uh, tell us a, a brief introduction about uh, you and your path to being here in Japan. Yes, uh, I arrived in 1999, David, just before the millennium. Um, everyone worried about um, all the computers turning off <laughs> when I arrived. Um, came out here with a British financial services firm. Um, to work in Tokyo, and uh, three years, four years later, I was married, and uh, now have two children, two boys, 15 and 11. Uh, I've always stayed in the financial services profession as a financial planner, um, way back to 1991, in fact, and that's been my job ever since. Um, So I've got a few grey hairs behind those years of experience now, unfortunately, um, and my hobbies, well, outside of work, uh, I like to run the Knights of Might Lycra group, which I think we're going to discuss this morning. Uh, and I love cycling and play a bit of golf. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's dive into, let's start with your career, because you've been with an advisor, like you said, for a very long time, and you've been with AP Advisors for nearly two decades. Um, well, not quite. I, I came here with the British financial services firm in 99 and they closed their doors in 2004. And uh, I set up AP Advisors with two of my colleagues from that firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have been our own uh, shop, if you like, since then. Although initially uh, we were owned by Irish parent company. We bought their shares out about 10 years ago and, and it's now our own boutique firm. So we very much focus on uh, expatriates living in Japan, helping them with their, their financial planning, uh, not just in Japan, but beyond their time in Japan too. Okay. And is it, um, being from the US, do you, do you focus on uh, UK citizens or global? Um, well, uh, and of any citizenship is, is, is fine. Um, but the products and services are quite bespoke. So sometimes they don't always fit every person. 
but we try our best to help whoever knocks on our door. Fantastic. Well, let's, uh, we'll put a link uh, to your shop on in the show notes so that people can find out and uh, sign up just to, you know, maybe even just sit down and have a quick run through with you and, and learn about what uh, they can be doing better. Well, that's and, right. I mean, I'm not retired myself yet, so um, <laughs> I, I don't have the answers to everything. And then now you've been doing uh, Knights in White Lycra since you founded that in 2012? Yes, more or less, David. Um, I was here when the uh, tragedy happened, uh, 311. Uh, I remember being in this very building I'm talking to you from and being shaken like a rag doll. Yep. And uh, who can ever forget that day? And uh, it, it took us took a while for us to sort of um, get over that, as I'm sure you can remember yourself. Yep. And um, but a year later, there were still people living in a temporary accommodation up in Tohoku. And we thought, well, that's that's um, that's not too good. And uh, a few of us had been sitting in a British pub in Tokyo, looking at our big fat beer bellies and wondering what on earth we were going to do to try and reduce their sizes. Yeah. And uh, we thought we'd all go and buy bikes. So we bought bikes, started commuting. And then, of course, after the tragedy, we kind of knitted the two together and decided that we would do do a sort of a long distance ride, but at the same time, raise some money for the survivors. And so in 2013, our first ever bike ride was born, uh, which was a ride up to Minami Soma, um, a three day ride of 300 kilometers. And uh, on the last day when we were due to meet the the, the residents, um, there was a blizzard. Uh, the first one for 40 years and uh, effectively we had to abort the ride but we went back and completed it uh, in June of that year and it really was uh, an amazing day it wasn't just the um, the the euphoria of of completing a very physical challenge which it was for us because we weren't honed athletes I mean we were overweight British blokes who bought bikes (laughs) to do it um, so there was a sense of achievement, but I think overwhelmingly there was also this emotional sense of mm. the gratitude from those residents, which really, really resonated with us. I mean, we only raised 2.7 million yen, but it was the it was the um, gesture, I suppose, that 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 they were so appreciative of, and uh, that money went towards buying food and water. Would you believe? Well, I mean, a year after they were still amazing. in need of food and water. Um, and so that that experience really um, was the was the birth of the Knights and White Lycra. And for your younger viewers, I'm sure they had no idea why we're called Knights and White Lycra. Yeah, I was going to ask you to explain that that uh, that name because uh, some some people may not have uh, understood that. No, indeed, no. We we were we were sat in a karaoke bar, probably had one beer too many, <laughs> and uh, one of our guys decided to sing the song "Nights in White Satin," uh, which was by the Moody Blues, a very famous hit, a British hit anyway. And uh, that's where the name was born. So we kind of played on the words a bit and made it "Nights with a K" and changed the "Satin" to "Lycra," which is pretty similar. Yeah. If you, yeah, and it's it's worked. It's worked for you guys. Well, it, it, the, the name seems to have stuck, although um, being being typically British, many people try to shorten names. And yeah. so when we now commonly become known as Kirill, Kirill. Uh, which is a little bit hard to pronounce, but still, if that's what you want to call us, that's fine. Yeah. So people can say you're so Kirill. You could say that. Well yeah. done. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get you to do some copywriting for us. Uh, we got uh, now... 
so you're doing your 10th anniversary bike ride, which we'll we'll talk about. But I I know that um, I didn't know you until uh, uh, three four years ago, 2019. Uh, I well, it was uh, about this time in 2018 actually, and wow. uh, we uh, I remember sitting down for coffee because I had an idea. And your name came up. I, I said, I, I would like to run to Kyoto. And uh, and Simon said, uh, yeah, you need to go and talk to Rob. He, he'll straighten you out. They, they have this uh, bike ride up to Fukushima, so he probably knows something about that. And uh, I sat down, and you didn't laugh at me when I said, I want to go and run to Kyoto. He said, well, we don't know how to do that, but you could run to Fukushima. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so that's... Uh, that was an amazing experience and you uh, graciously helped support me and uh, Knights and White Lycra did as well. And that's when I learned that uh, you guys did a lot more than just bike rides. And mm. there's a whole bunch of activities that, that you guys do. Talk, talk about, you know, besides the bike ride, which most people know, tell us more about what, uh, what other activities that you do for, for fundraising. Sure. I mean, it, it, initially, of course, it was a bike ride. And it, and for the first few years, it remained that way. Um, it kind of grew and grew and grew from, from 10 people when we started to 20 the following year, 30 the, the year after that, up to 40. And that, that's really where the maximum is we can take the bike ride, really, in terms of personnel. But what we did realize was that um, people wanted to give back, that, that they wanted to get fit, they wanted to give back, um, but they weren't necessarily cyclists. And so we thought, well, the cycle ride's only four days out of a year. What, what more can we do to engage more people, raise more money and, and support some um, community projects? So uh, after the Olympics uh, was announced for Japan, the focus kind of turned away from Tohoku onto the Olympics and mm. we realized we had to pivot a little bit as well because fundraising for Tohoku was becoming a little bit passe unfortunately but that's the way it was so we, we moved on to a more generic topic of, of supporting marginalized children mm -hmm. in Japan who live in care homes through through no fault of their own be that through abuse poverty or literally have no parents so we, we, we realized, well, if, if, if our cause is more generic, let, let's also open up the whole thing to, to more people. So we started devising other sports, other events. Um, for example, we now have a one-month cycling challenge for people who can't do the 500-kilometer the ride in four days. We, we allow people to do 500 kilometers in one month, and they do it in their own time, on their own or in groups or on any bike they choose. So that's another way to, to get involved in cycling. But we also have a similar running event. So over the course of one month, people run as far as they can. And all these events, you, you pay a, a participation fee for, all of which goes to the charity. Uh, and that's how we raise money through, through those. But in addition to that, we also have a golf day. We have a futsal tournament. Um, those two have obviously been put on the shelf because of COVID. But next year, we hope to relaunch those. Um, we've had a walk around the palace, Imperial Palace Walk, um, which really is very um, popular with, with teams, company teams in particular, uh, who bring their staff along and walk around the palace, pay an entrance fee, get a T-shirt and go and have a beer afterwards. So mm -hmm. it's all very social. Um, and then for those that only want to be social and don't even want to put on a pair of training shoes or cycling shoes, they can come to our pub quiz. 
which we do once or twice a year. And you can get fit and well, not get fit, but you can give back from the bar stool, which um, some <laughs> people prefer. Which I've, I've done that a few times. It's uh, always good, good fun. Well, as long as you haven't fallen off the bar stool, yeah. David, then uh, that's fine. Well, it's uh, and then uh, yeah, we did. Uh, I know our company Focus Core did uh, the Palace, yeah, which was we fantastic. Did. Really, really good time. Mm. And you guys do that over a weekend, right? It's not just yes. Well, I mean, right? we we found that a Friday evening after work is the most popular time. So from 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 about three to four p.m., we we invite people to come and do the do the walk, and you just choose a time to do it. So it takes about one hour to walk around if it's leisurely. But we haven't we have had people run it and do a couple of laps in, in that one hour that we ask them to do. But I mean, if you want to do two hours, that's also fine um so it, it starts at, at, at that time and and anyone can come along up to about 9 p.m on the friday and then we do another session on the saturday for families and you know we've had toddlers in in strollers turn up for the event as well um which is great um so it's it's for everyone literally for everyone that event yeah and we always do that in the spring and and hopefully it coincides with the sakura uh, which is beautiful around the palace, as you know. Mm. Um, so that's usually in the springtime. That's brilliant. And then I know it, uh, we did uh, the Go-Go Marathon. So that just finished up. And uh, I know when I did the seven marathons in seven days, we uh, coincided the start with the, the Go-Go Marathon. Um, yeah, the, the Go-Go Marathon has kind of um, evolved into the right. Go-Go Challenge, which is the, the monthly run, the, the run over the course of a month, which you choose to do in your own time, wherever. Um, all people have to do, and Go-Go, of course, meaning 5-5 five, five in right. Japanese, is run 55 kilometres during the month of November. And oddly enough, the participation fee is 5,500 yen. So how yeah, special can you get? Yeah. Um, and that's very popular because there's no peer pressure. Whereas with, with the marathon uh, that we did in person on the Arakawa River, obviously there's a sense of um, there's a sense of time constraint or, or or competition, which we don't want it to be, but nevertheless it can be. But we hope next year that we will have during the course of that month an in-person run to a children's care home where <clears throat> participants can actually meet the children that they're supporting. Which yeah, that's what we did uh, when when we did that. We ended up in uh, one of the, the care homes. Now, for the fundraising, let's talk about what what it's all for and, mm. and what how you guys choose your and select your charity and what the charity is. Yes. I mean, well, what we do as a committee is we sit down and say, right, okay, what, what causes do we want to support? And, and everyone put their hands up for children. Uh, who wouldn't? Yeah. Um, and then obviously it was then, OK, well, is it children who are, who maybe are, are physically challenged or mentally challenged or what 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 particular area of, of support for kids can we offer or or just children in need in general? So um, we, we, we already knew a couple of people working in charities um, that were su- supporting marginalized children in care homes. And uh, the first one that we found was a, an MPO called Mirai Nomori. And uh, Mirai Namori do outdoor programs for these children, take them into the, the outdoor environment and, and you know, give, give them challenges uh, to help them overcome their fear, to breed self-confidence, to learn teamwork skills. I mean, th- this is great for corporate companies mm. to do, let alone kids in care. 
Um, and and obviously it's like a four or five day summer camp. They do the same thing in the winter, uh, and they connect with the children throughout the year as well. So it's an education in the outdoors. I would say is the best way to describe it. And I think this resonates so well. And next year's charity, we're we're reverting back to Miraina Mori, having been with a, an MPO called uh, Yumi We, mm-hmm. who do indoor education. They help kids learn digital, um, how to how to work a computer, how to program it, code it, etc., how to be safe on the internet. Um, but what these two charities have in common is that they support kids in care, and that's the subject or topic that Knights and White Lyca wish to focus on in the years ahead. Great. Yeah, it was um, wonderful when I did the the run up to Fukushima, went to one of the homes up there that you guys also run to, uh, ride to. Yes, that's uh, right. I I think the worst part about that particular home, David, it's on the top of a massive hill, if you remember. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'd I'd been running seven days, so it was nothing after that. (laughs) You're so modest. (laughs) We we could barely uh, turn our, our wheels up that hill, I can promise you. Um, but it, I think you know I, you, you'll you'll agree. I'm sure, having experienced it yourself, that that the real tangible part of all this is is meeting the kids at the end, and and the gratitude they show you for for what you've done for them is is just it's a it's a lifetime experience, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was fantastic. We I I was uh, also sponsored on my run by Skechers, mm. and they graciously gave all the all the residents uh, all these kids a pair of shoes yeah and it was it was just fantastic to see their faces brighten up mm. and they were just so generous and and kind and they had a, a finish line uh when we got up there now they mm. had a finish line um with the go-go marathon as well and they'd drawn stuff out and it was it was fantastic it's lovely yeah they, they the charities really get them involved in it which is wonderful yeah actually well, one of my favorite kill events is the kill santa ride oh. um which we just did on monday night actually you usually it's a weekend but uh-huh. because of a covid outbreak we had to um postpone it so um four of us turned up in our santa uniform on our bike at the kids home and we just spent a, a very, very joyful hour or so with them, giving out presents, playing games with them, uh, them getting prizes. And, and you just, just for that hour or so, they were just normal, joyful kids. And, mm. and it was wonderful. It was, it was very, very special. And uh, that's another event we'd love people, encourage people to come on because you don't have to be a cyclist. You can, you can just, all you do have to do is cycle 20K to the home from Tokyo and that's it. You guys um, look great on your, on your, uh santa costumes <laughs> yeah that's you're, right you're, you're much you know more svelte than you were uh, uh 10 years ago though well you're not supposed to be svelte as a santa but anyway what can you do <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's funny actually david because the um the uniform itself kind of breaks down barriers a little bit because the kids feel safe with santa right they feel yeah. safer and they, these children are very fragile i mean i don't know if you noticed yeah. it yourself but yeah emotionally fragile very wary of adults for for the reasons that those poor kids have had to go through and uh it's really nice to be able to break down those barriers and um you know realize help them realize that that people do care about them they do love them and and want to help them you know it's one of the things that shocked me which was so um unexpected compared to the US is that when these kids get into uh, an orphanage or a home, mm. they're usually there for the rest 
until they're adulthood, right. until they're young adults. And mm. we just, um, in Japan, they just don't do a lot of adoptions. There, there's no foster care system to speak of, um, and adoption is very hard. Mm. So yes, it, it does. It mean that they're more or less sentenced to to uh, you know their entire childhood in care. I mean, don't get me wrong; they're they're very well looked after. Mm. Um, the one we went to was, was actually a Catholic-run kids' home mm. with nuns looking after them, and they they couldn't wish to be in better hands if you know if that's their only option other than living with their their parents. So yeah. you know, it, it could be worse. Yeah, yeah. It was just uh, just. Because uh, it seems that uh, in Japan we feel that people are so generous mm. and giving, but it, there seems to just be a general lack of awareness around. I think so. I, I think, you know, without wishing to criticize, I think there's also a little bit of wariness towards charities in general. You know, mm. is my money going to go to the right place? Yeah. And and we we have that. We have that in the back of our minds, too, when we choose a charity. You know, we don't want to pay for someone's salary. Yep. We don't want to pay for overheads. What what we want to do is pay for for you know for something that the kids can benefit from. Mm. So th- this is why we choose grassroots charities, not like the Red Cross, yeah. where where we know that every yen is going to the benefit of those kids, and those MPOs have to prove it. Um, mm. And, and it, it's that's that's really very important to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's important to me. What what was uh, I mean. You weren't always doing fundraising and mm. now you've you know you're you're leading this initiative up what's one thing about fundraising that you just didn't expect oh i think it's the um it's definitely the fulfillment david mm. um I, I don't know it's perhaps because in my professional career when i was working for other people there were always targets to meet and and you come from a similar industry yeah. where you know, it's target based. It's on. It's sales based, etc. Um, and I suppose I've I've taken that kind of mindset into the fundraising field, rightly or wrongly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to try and think right. In January of each year, let's try and make sure we try and raise at least ten million yen. Nice. I mean, that's that's you know, hundred thousand yeah. dollars, or at least it used to be in the exchange rate change. <laughs> Um, so you know that 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 makes a difference to the charities we choose. They they can really do something for the kids for that for that level. But I think um, the, the biggest fulfillment I get out of it is is obviously like like the Santa experience that um, that, that you just get to mix with them and, and feel like you're a part of their life and uh, you're making a difference to them in a positive way. Mm. Um, I'm lucky enough. David, to be in a, it, my own, my own, I am, I'm, I am the sort of my own business person. So um, I have the time or ability to to balance my life between mm. work and and my my philanthropic stuff. Um, I'm fortunate in that sense. I think if I was working full time as an employee, I wouldn't have the time to do this. Mm-hmm. And I don't pay myself to do the Knights of Might Lycra. All we raise goes direct to the charity, so it's all in my spare time. But it, it's uh, I, I just feel that this has to be a part of my life now, that it's really important that I give back. It's very important to me, uh, and it's more important than money. I mean, I, I could easily drop nights in my life and, and make more money from what I do professionally, mm. but I don't get fulfilled by that. Yeah. What, um, so 500 kilometres seems to some mm. uh, like a, a long distance. Um, mm. 
Hmm. What's a what's a common myth about uh, riding five hundred kilometers? <laughs> well, I think when you say that to somebody who's never done it before, they think it's insurmountable. Yeah. Um, but you know, as an endurance athlete yourself, David, that um, you you don't run a marathon to train for a marathon, and you hmm. don't like, train five hundred kilometers to do the actual ride. And I, I think it's important that you break it down into smaller stages, psychologically as well as physically. Um, to be able to do it so it, it's very doable and I think what, one of the things that surprises me is how how well the body recovers yeah. from a long day doing doing athletics uh, if you give it a chance of course mm. um, there's always a temptation on our 500 kilometer ride to hit the hotel bar once we've uh, once we've had our onset <laughs> <laughs> and um, one or two beers is all right for recovery but beyond that it probably is not going to help you yeah. But it's amazing because the following morning, when you've already done 150 kilometers the day before, your body's ready to go again. Yeah. Um, it's incredible what the body can do if you ask it to. But of course, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be trained. Yeah. Um, we give people four months to prepare yeah. to be ready for the ride. And and quite frankly, we have to be a little bit um, uh, cold hearted in, in some cases, because if people aren't ready, we tell them they can't come. Mm. And and that's for their own benefit as well as the safety of the people in their team because you don't want people out on the road in darkness. Yeah. Um, so it's important to get ready. So yeah, I, I guess the myth is that um, initially it seems insurmountable, but actually in reality it's not. But yeah. having said that, um, there's no point making it too easy. Um, so we do put some bumps in our ride, as in mountains. Yeah. Um, because who would sponsor you if it's too easy? <laughs> Well, I, I've run that. It's a, it, there's plenty uphill. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> but Japan a, I, is a pretty mountainous place. I, th I think the mental um, toughness is way more challenging than the physical. Because yes. when I did the seven marathons in seven days, it was, it was just I just knew the next day I'm waking up and running a marathon. Yeah. Whereas if I go out and run a marathon and then I'm done, I was like, oh, I'd never be able to do another one tomorrow. Mm. but once you put that in a context of okay you got six more to do it it just gets to be a thing right you just show up and <laughs> well i mean you have my eternal um, respect for what you did david it's just incredible i mean how, how do you, how did you deal with it psychologically that's an interesting one uh, i went off off the rails one day but uh <laughs> the rest of the rest of the time it's just uh really just uh being very positive and open to what's happening in nature and what's going on and why, why I was doing it. And it's, mm. you, it was thinking about the kids and, and mm. doing that. And it was mm. thinking well, how lucky I was to be able to have the luxury of seven days to, to go out and be in nature. Right. Um, and I think you guys do the same thing. You're, you're out there riding and it's a wonderful experience mm. and feeling to be out there and have that luxury. It's a very similar thing, yes, except you did your solo and uh, we, we do ours in groups. So, uh, you know, I have even more respect for you because you had really had no support. Although I think one or two people did join you. For Simon Jelps was out there with me one day and did, uh, mm -hmm. did a big and then we did the the Go-Go uh, Marathon. All right. The first day. So we did yeah, uh, 15K with everybody and that was a yeah. blast. That's so right. Then. Yes, indeed. You did two marathons in one day almost. No, one and a half almost. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, who, who's counting, Rob? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, my. that's right. So um, my, my $1,000 question to you, Rob, on, on this ride is how do you best 
fix a puncture. <laughs> well, of course, no, no, nobody brings a bucket of water with them, <laughs> do they? So you've got to. Fortunately, um, modern day, modern day bike technology has evolved since when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you just, uh, you just um, obviously the tire is already deflated, so you just whip out the inner tube. Uh, replace the inner tube with a new one rather than trying to find the hole in the old one and uh, making sure and being eco-friendly that you don't just throw the old one into the ditch yeah and that you uh, tuck it away and put it dispose of it properly um and then obviously you you wouldn't use it you wouldn't go back to the hotel and fill up your sink and go and find the puncture and seal it up for the next day not after 150 kilometers (laughs) okay no no but i mean maybe some of our old school cyclists might do that um, which, uh, yeah, no, that's right. I mean, we, actually, on the point of that, and mechanics, we do have bikes break down on rides like ours. Yeah. So um, we, we are fully supported. We have an excellent uh, support crew of people that volunteer their time to drive the cars, which are kindly donated by Jaguar Land Rover and have been for many years. Mm. And uh, in that, in those cars go are uh, the riders' bags and um, pumps and um, spare inner tubes and all kinds of things. So you're not um, riding self-sufficiently, mm. although we do sort of tell people, do it as if you were um, and don't rely too much on the on the cars. Uh, it's not a concierge service. It's, <laughs> it's a last resort. And and with uh, Cool, what's uh, what's your biggest challenge that you're, you're facing right now and, and how are you tackling that? I think we've... Um, I think we've probably overcome our greatest challenge so far, and that that was the pandemic, really, David. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've had to we've had to cancel the 2020 ride completely. Um, 2021, we did uh, we did a we did a, a hybrid version where we split into small groups, and each of those groups did their own 500k rides in small groups in in mm-hmm. in, in hotels that would accept groups that small. Um, and so we we managed to do that somehow. Um, but the, the key thing was to keep going. It wasn't just to give up because, I mean, these kids, their, their needs don't just stop because there's a pandemic. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, we realised that we still have to do something for them. Um, but, yeah, a lot of the in-person events had to be cancelled. So, actually, if we can overcome that, I think we can overcome anything. So the future's bright, I think, for us. Mm-hmm. And I think next next year we, we will have our futsal event. We will have our golf uh, and everything else um, that we can do in person. We just had a quiz night actually last month um, yeah, at the Hobgoblin. We had we, it was a sellout. Ninety people raised two hundred fifty thousand yen, and it was it was joyous because we hadn't done it for a few years, and everyone was so happy to be out again and for a good cause. That's brilliant. With uh, and now, you guys have we're we're going to we're recording. Um, uh, in 2022, this will be out in 2023 in the, mm. in January, um, and you have a ride coming up, and the sign up is in January. So, talk a little bit around that. Yes, we um, I'll invite anybody um, to participate in the ride, or at least to apply for it in the month of January. And just to to stress this point, David, um, you know, we we <clears throat> our youngest rider last year is 23. Our oh. oldest was 62. So we accept anybody, any <laughs> age, any background, any nationality, any ability. Mm. Um, although I will say that even novice cyclists are welcome. They do have to make sure they are trained by the, the, the event date. 
mm. um, and and have a proper road bike as well. Yeah. Um, so it is for anyone to apply for um, in the month of January, and then the selection, if we need to select, will be done at the beginning of February, and that gives people a clear four months um, to train for the ride. Um, when I say select, fortunately so far we haven't had to do that. We've had just enough apply that we can automatically accept them. Mm-hmm. But I think because this is our 10th anniversary ride, it's going to be quite popular and we may have to um, select. Now, that means basically that we will look at the applicants and uh, and and try to accommodate those that are applying for the first time. We try to accommodate more women. One of our objectives is to have more, more women on the ride next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously the whole point of this is to raise money so individuals that can attract corporate sponsorship to put their logos on our jerseys on our on our shorts etc um obviously have priority too great so if listeners uh don't want to bike but would like to support you what can mm. they do um well the first thing is that the corporate sponsors on our jersey um do not have to be from companies of ride of people who are riding mm. so we have quite a few logos on our jersey that they have no involvement in the ride itself but what they do see the value in doing in, in sponsoring us is that it's a, a get fit and give back philosophy which resonates with their csr strategies quite quite often um so they like to be aligned to what we're doing mm-hmm. um so that that's the first thing um and and secondly those companies where they do have riders involved it's a way of supporting their employees doing something in the community so it, it resonates in in many ways and of course we do give we do give exposure to all those companies by way of social media um, on our website uh, also we do an annual video which has just been launched incidentally and is on our website now um, and it'll give you a very good feel for who we are, what we do, and why those companies um, have supported us for so many years. That's awesome. And we'll have links to all those in the show notes. So uh, anybody, right. and we'll put that uh, also in our newsletter as well. So thank you so much. And can, can reach out to you on that. And um, so for you, what do you you think Let's just talk about for fundraising in general and mm. being successful for mm. doing this for such a long time. What do you think is most important personality trait that someone needs to have to be able to do this? To be able to raise raise funds, you mean, or mm-hmm. to participate? Be a fundraiser and, and run an organization like this. Mm. Yes, I, I think I think some of it comes from the heart, though, doesn't it, David? You know, the, the pe- pe- people that fundraise are, are, seem to naturally have it within themselves to to want to do it. Um, I think I think there's uh, there are others too that that want to give back in different ways, and, and I think that's illustrated um, very well culturally between, say, Japanese people and foreign people. Mm-hmm. For example, when you did your seven marathons in seven days. I'm sure a lot of foreign people just immediately donate in support sure. of the effort. Yeah. But, but with Japanese people, they don't quite get the connection between, well, why should I donate because you're doing that? Mm-hmm. But where they will donate in support is, for example, if they pay a partition participation fee towards yeah. an event and get a T-shirt or something, you know, as a commemorative yeah. thing, you know, that, that connects with, with them. So that's why we try to fundraise in different ways. Um, it doesn't always necessarily mean that that, that um, everyone approaches fundraising in the same way. 
Um, but I think the most important thing is is getting the message across as to it's it's like any it's like anything that you're trying to sell to someone. Mm. What is the benefit of doing this? You know, what what's it going to? What difference is it going to make? So we we, we do try to um, major on um, the the benefits of what your money's going to and how it benefits the children. And uh, when when you tell someone that it's going to go to benefit children living in care, to give them skill sets and, and a better prospect for their lives in adulthood, yep. who's not going to be attracted by that idea? Mm. <laughs> you yeah. have to be pretty cold hearted. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the, these children, once they leave care, they literally fall off a ledge. Yeah. They are out in the, in the big wide world and, and without the extra tools to give them like extra education through these charities, that they are immediately in a minus position compared to your normal adult um, yeah. who, who hasn't come from care. And I'm afraid there is still a stigma attached to to that. And employees, employers um, do actually still, you know, unfortunately, see that as a negative. Yeah. Um, we we've had a few success stories. We've had we've had one child from care successfully get a job in a major um, uh, car manufacturer, um, actually in an office position. I met her personally the other night for the first time, and yeah. it was just so wonderful to to see that she's become you know a successful young adult mm. as a result of the skills she learned through the charities and the chance we gave her. Yeah. So it, it's wonderful. The success stories are what keep me going. It's good to put that in context for our listeners who don't realize, you know, these kids may go in in elementary school or junior high school and they're there until they're 18. Oh, and, I mean, they go to normal schools, David. They go to the state schools like yeah. everyone else, but they're marginalized. They're, yeah. they're stigmatized, unfortunately. But if you give them skills like, like IT skills, like team leadership skills, mm. And they can prove it, and it's on their resume that I did this camp, and I was the team leader. And uh, you know, what, one of the things, for example, with Mirai Nomori next year is that they have a graduate program, and that means that um, the kids that have aged out of the care system mm-hmm. are coming back as volunteers to lead the camps. That's so they're effectively giving back themselves. Now that's just wonderful because it completes the cycle. But also those children, those adults um, need help. They they need financial help. They need to understand how to manage money, how to get a job, how to write a resume. Mm-hmm. You know, think things that people in your industry can help them with. Yeah. So there's there's a great support system ecosystem out there if we just give it to them. Mm. That's great. Well, let's um let's we're we're finishing up, but I, I'd like to do a, a couple of things that uh, we can. Uh, you know, find out more about you, Rob, as a, a person. So I want to do what we're calling a speed round. Mm. And so these are going to be quick, quick questions. I haven't sent them to you beforehand. So you come off, uh, see what comes out of uh, off the top of your head for these. Okay. This sounds like a psychometric test to me. But... Uh, it's well, it's, it's, uh, it had a little bit, but uh, it's not that deep. I don't think. <laughs> All right. Away. So we got uh, a few questions for you. So, Texting or talking? Oh, gosh. Well, I'm a people person, so I will say talking. But I'm a bit shy, so I (laughs) I don't mind texting to start with. (laughs) Favorite Japanese food? Katsu. (laughs) I can't beat a good katsu. Miso katsu. Um, 
your uh, best football player of all time. You are talking about soccer, I assume. Of course I am, yes. <laughs> of all time, goodness me. Well, I'm going to go for Messi. What? How more topical could that be? Yeah, that, that's not uh, going to be controversial today. Favourite day of the week? Friday. Right. Last song you downloaded? Gosh, oh Lord. That was a heavy metal song by an American rock band called Mastodon. <laughs> Which is a, a dinosaur elephant is what that name is. But uh, yeah, love them. I'll, I'll have to look that up today. And well, I was lucky because I went to see them inadvertently at the Download Festival last year. And uh, like you do at festivals, you get to see bands for the first time. And yeah. uh, they just came. They just, they just hit me. They were great. Nice. Mastodon. <laughs> and Mastodon. on that, would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Uh, every language in the world. Nice. And uh, what what should I have asked you today that I didn't know enough to ask you? Uh, well, I don't not quite sure how to answer that. Really, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I I probably just did did want to sort of um, blow my own trumpet, but also to recognise all the people involved in Knights mm. of White Lyca. I mean, it's it's not just me. Uh, I'm, I'm the chair and the co-founder, but I'm a co-founder, not the founder. And and we we started with ten people that started all this. Mm-hmm. Most of them now have left Japan because of their, their expats, but I'm still here running it. So I guess I'm the common thread. But but throughout this whole process, David, there's been a massive support team of of fellow fellow participants, of sponsors, of donors, of volunteers that made this happen. And here we are, nine years later, having raised 115 million yen for for community projects in Japan. It makes me immensely proud. Mm. But but all those people involved should be proud of that as well. It's just an incredible achievement. I just can't believe that that this has happened uh, after that that silly little bike ride we started (laughs) with in 2013. So I'm really proud of that. I really am. And and, um, but but it's not been achieved without all those people that, that are too many to mention. Yeah. And uh, you can go on to the www.q.net, K-I-W-L. Yeah. Um, and that's .net. And uh, oh, you can see yeah. a lot of the pictures of the writers of all the events, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the people that are still active, uh, you know, there's photos of those people as mm-hmm. well. And uh, it'll give people a chance to also sign up for the bike ride. That's, yes, uh, so the, uh, there is a particular page on the website that um, that in January will have a link to the application page for the ride, absolutely. Um, but for those who are just curious, David, um, the, the video on the homepage itself, uh, yeah. the, the latest one, um, if you can just give up seven minutes of your, your holidays to watch that in the next few weeks, I think that'll give you a great idea of, of who we are and what we do. Um, that that's one thing and the other thing I want to mention was on January the 18th in the evening um, we will be holding an information night about the 500 kilometer ride so if you're just curious and don't want to commit yet come along to that learn about what it's all about and if it's for you apply if it's not for you fine at least you know a bit more about what we do fantastic well thank you for spending time with me Rob and and 
uh, telling us uh, your great adventures and uh, all the wonderful things that you and uh, Knights in White Lycra are accomplishing in Japan for those young people. Uh, uh, I thank you and I applaud you. It's just wonderful to spend time and learn more about that today. And thank you very much indeed for the opportunity, David. Um, people can donate directly to Mirai Nomori should they wish. They just have to go on their homepage. Um, they, they, they accept cash donations at any time. It doesn't have to be linked to Knights mm-hmm. and White Lycra. And also, you know, I should also say that if people don't want to get involved in the Knights and White Lycra sporting events, then they can volunteer directly with Mirai Nomori. Mm-hmm and help them with their camps, um, three, four day camps in the summer and winter. But they also do one day, one day um, uh, outward bound expeditions with the kids that people can do in their weekends uh, and times off. That's great. Thank you so much. We'll put uh, links to, to them in the show notes. Um, that's, uh, but uh, just for anybody's listening, Mirai, M-I-R-A-I dash N-O dash M-O-R-I dot J-P. So that's morai-no-mori dot J-P. And uh, you can support them there directly. Thank you again, Rob. It was delightful chatting with you today. Thank you very much, David. Thanks for the opportunity. Um, And uh, we will talk again soon, I'm sure. 